Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For though we walk, in parentheses it says live, for though we live or we walk in the flesh, we're not carrying on our warfare according to the flesh and using mere human weapons. For the weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons of flesh and blood, but are mighty before God through the, for the overthrow and destruction of strongholds. Inasmuch as we refute arguments and theories and reasonings and every proud and lofty thing that sets itself against the, up against the true knowledge of God, and we lead every thought and purpose away captive into the obedience of Christ the Messiah, the Anointed One. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that the Holy Spirit will just touch our minds, touch our hearts, our ears to hear, our eyes to see, our hearts to receive what you have to say this morning through your word. Lord, your word we have hidden in our heart that we might not sin against you. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, your word is real. You and your word, Father, are one and the same, and your word is forever settled in heaven. So, Lord, touch us this morning, help us to receive, help us to understand, help us to gain access to that which will give us victory over the enemy, we pray in Jesus' name. Most believers don't understand the concept of spiritual warfare. Many of us live in a hunker-down mentality. You know what a hunker-down mentality is, don't you? We live on the defensive all the time. We're scared of the devil. How many of y'all are scared of the devil? I'm not afraid of the devil. don't have any reason to be afraid of the devil. But you know what? I am wary of the enemy's devices. I understand that the enemy is real. The devil is very real. Understand that. He's real. And contrary to popular belief, his abilities are very powerful in that he hijacks the abilities of the human mind and the human spirit. And he uses it very effectively. That's where the danger lies. It it is in the deception or the deceptive devices of the enemy. In order to to compete in spiritual warfare and win in spiritual warfare, you must understand your enemy. You've got to know how your enemy operates. A lot of spiritual or a lot of uh, military planning involves studying your enemy. Knowing your enemy, it's, in, it's intel. We call it intelligence. The CIA is, is very much involved in that, trying to get behind enemy lines and trying to discover how the enemy is planning their approach to, 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 to bring war against you. Well, that is where we need to look at the enemy and understand how the enemy works. Well, as a matter of fact, Paul had this to say in, um, in um, 2 Corinthians In chapter 4, he said that, you know, he was talking about what had happened a while back. He had written his first letter to the the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there was a man in the church who was involved in a heinous sin. And the church did nothing about it. They kind of ignored it, kind of like we do today. (laughs) You know, they overlooked it. They loved the sinner and they hated the sin and that kind of thing, but they did nothing about it. And this man was living in their midst. And Paul wrote them a letter, and he said, this is what you need to do. And understand, this man is having, he's carrying on an incestuous relationship with his father's wife. And he said, this thing is not even done among the the heathen. 
The pagans, they don't even do this kind of stuff. He said, you've got to deal with this because it's like a cancer that will spread through the body. And here's how you deal with it. You turn this man over to the devil for the destruction of the flesh so that his soul will be saved in the end. What did that mean? That meant excommunication. So they, they took this man and they pretty much had nothing to do with him in the body. Why? Did they hate him? No, they didn't hate him. They loved the man. But they wanted to see change take place in his life. They didn't ignore his sin. They dealt with it. And that's what Paul told them to do. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we see Paul writes them again. And he writes them, uh, the second letter he writes to the, uh, to the Corinthians. And he says, you know, he says, there was a man among you. And, and he's, he's referring to this guy. And he said, don't be bitter against him. Don't be bitter against this man. Because a lot of the folks had, t- had taken... They had taken offense at the guy and what he was doing in the church and how he was hurting the church. He says, don't take offense to him. Don't let this root of bitterness get inside of you. You see, that's how the enemy operates. He said, the man has repented, now love him. And understand that we are not ignorant of the devil's devices. We're not ignorant of the devil's schemes. I looked up that word in the, in the Greek, and the word is the word uh, methodeo. Methodeo means Will we get the word method or methodology? The methodology of the enemy is to do what? To cause bitterness and anger among us and in the church and division and these kind of things. That's how the enemy operates. When Paul begins writing the letter to the Corinthians, he said, you think that you're mature, but there's a sign, a certain sign that shows that you truly aren't mature because there are divisions among you. Who causes divisions? The enemy. The enemy causes division among us. He causes division in families. He causes divisions among individuals and friends. He causes division among the body. He causes division in the nation. And Jesus addressed this situation. He says, how can a house divided against itself stand? It can't. So the enemy's key and main operative is to cause division and discord among us. How does he do it? Feeling. Nothing more than feelings. We all have feelings. And what are feelings? Is that spirit? What is it? Flesh. Soulish. The soul is made up of three things. You know, our, 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 our human makeup is body, soul, and spirit. If we go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we see when man was created... It said, God created man out of the dust of the earth. Okay? He made a body. In the Greek, that word is soma. S-O-M-A. Soma. It means flesh. It's just, all this is just a house. It's just the earth suit that we live in. When I look at you, Gary, I don't see the real you when I look at the outside. I have to get to know you and delve a little bit deeper to know who you truly are. First look at you, I just see Gary. Handsome guy. Awesome. You know, but when I really get to know you, I know you're even more awesome. It's so true for all of us, you know. We look at the outward experience, but, and, and what did, when, when God was speaking to Saul through Samuel, and Samuel had been disobedient toward God in 2 uh, uh, Samuel chapter, well, anyway, 14, I believe. And he said that man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. He looks on the inside of us. 
So God created a soma. He built a house for the man. And then it says that he, he breathed. Now that word breathe in the, in the Hebrew is napa. In the Greek, it is pneuma. When we think of pneuma, what do we think of? We ever, anybody use an air, air gun, you know, air hammer or impact wrench, a pneumatic wrench, pneuma. Anybody ever had pneumonia? Well, then you understand the air. I could go off in a direction on that, but I won't. But God breathed into him. And when he breathed into him, he breathed life into him. He breathed spirit into him. Then man became a living soul. Man became a living soul. He had a mind, will, and emotions. And that's where that came in. But when we die, what leaves first? The spirit. Once the spirit is gone, do we have any mind, will, and emotions left? No, we don't. But as a spirit being, when we come to the Lord and we give our hearts to Jesus and we begin to grow spiritually, what has to take a back seat? Jesus said, if we hang on to our suke, if we hang on to our life, and that word in the Greek is the word suke, if we hang on to our suke, which is our soulish part about who we are, if we hang on to it, then we lose our zoe. We lose our life. But if we yield up our soul, our suke, then we gain zoe. We gain life. We gain the life of God. So what does that mean? It means we surrender our mind and our will and our emotions to God. And once we surrender our mind, our will, and our emotions to God, guess who's going to try to get it back? He does not want you to become a pneumaticos. He doesn't want you to become a spiritual man. He wants you to continue to be a suke, a sukikos. Or, as Dr. Cottle, Ron Cottle said in our theology classes, he said, he used the word sarks. You know what sarks is, don't you? That's flesh. Sarks. And our fleshly desires is what this body wants. You know, a lot of times I sit down at midnight, and all of a sudden my sarks wants to go to the refrigerator and get a giant bowl of ice cream. Anybody ever have that happen? If I give in to that, you know what I am? I am a sarkikos. I am a fleshly man. And if I do that too long, I will be a huge fleshly man. So I have to resist that urge and settle for a piece of celery. Help me, Jesus. I have to deny the flesh. Because I know that there are repercussions if I give in to the flesh. Well, in the spiritual realm, there are far greater repercussions when we give in to our fleshly desires than a bowl of ice cream. When we give in to what this thing wants, and it begins to, to control our thoughts and our thought patterns and our imaginations. We enter right into the devil's trap. That thing called deception. The deception is, is, is very covert. You know, 
The thing about deception is it's very deceiving. And the devil knows how to quote scripture. You know? A lot of us use scripture sometimes to justify our own desires. But we don't use the whole counsel of God to learn how to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust or the desires of the old sarkikos. Dr. Cottle says we're just an old sorry sack of sarps without the spirit. But when we yield to the Spirit, when we yield to what the Spirit wants, and we understand that there's a real battle going on, and we begin to understand that if we're going to fight a spiritual war, we cannot fight it in the realm of the flesh. We cannot allow our mind, our will, and our emotions control our desires. We have to align with what the Spirit wants and desires for us in order to win this battle. And how do we know? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, say it with me. I'll put it up here for you. For the word that God speaks is alive and full of power, making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword penetrating to the dividing line of the breath of life or the soul and the immortal spirit and joints and marrow of the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and sifting and analyzing and judging the very thoughts and purposes Of the heart. That's pretty good stuff. That's the amplified version, just in case you're wondering. It speaks a little louder. It emphasizes what's being said so that we understand that the Word of God is not some dead words that have been spoken years ago. And I hear it so often, it makes me sick. And where do you think that comes from? It was just written by men. The Bible's just an old book written by men. But It was inspired by God. And holy men of God wrote it as they were anointed of the Spirit. That's the difference. It is a spirit book that helps us in our spirit walk. Because the natural man does not understand the things of God. That's why the American psychiatric community is always writing new books and always changing their mind about stuff. Because they don't understand spirit. They can only understand what they feel. And that's changeable. But what we know is not. The Word of God stands sure and His Word endures forever. It never changes. And God and His Word are one. And when we get a hold of that, and we begin to see, and we begin to look into the Word of God, it begins to expose our inner self to us. Looking into the Word of God, James says, is like looking into a mirror. How many of y'all looked into a mirror this morning? I always like to get a cup of coffee first and prepare myself. (laughs) Look into the mirror. And you get everything as good as you can. And then you walk away and what do you do most often? You forget what you look like. You know? All that hard work and everything, you walk out feeling like, man, I'm the best looking guy in the world. 
till somebody pops your bubble. I was telling my, my, my grandchildren, they like to climb on Pop Pop's back and get horsey rides and stuff. And my little granddaughter, a few years back, she was climbing on my back and she says, oh, Pop Pop, you got a hole in your head. <laughs> Talking about my little ball spot that I had then. Well, a couple of weeks ago, my grandson Jonah walks up behind my chair and he looks at my head and he says, Pop Pop, you're bald. <laughs> so we see how things change, you know. And kids can be brutally honest. But the Spirit of God was honest with us. When we look into the Word of God, it reveals to us honestly who we truly are and where we truly are and understand that we're not all that. You know? We're not all that. Paul said, I'm an apostle. Not because I have judged myself to be an apostle, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And that's what we have to understand. By the grace of God, I am what I am. It's God who is making me. It is God who is forming me. And it all begins with what I think of myself in relation to the way that God sees me. How does God see you? When we're born of the Spirit, we are then become children of God. We're sons of God. So when you become a child of God, how does he see you? Does he look at you as a detestable human? No, he looks at you as a blood-washed saint. He overlooks all of your sin, all the things you've ever done. He doesn't count it against you. It's gone. You're a new creation in him. In Christ Jesus. And he begins to see old things pass away. And he begins to see all things becoming new. Everybody say, all things becoming new. And the only things that don't become new are the things that we hold on to, which the enemy uses as a device against us. If we won't let it go, then we're still just an old sukekos. I want you to get this out of your vocabulary as a believer. Two words, I can't. I can't quit that, Pastor. I I just I just can't. No, it's not that you can't, it's that you won't. You won't. You can. Philippians 4:13 says, For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And if God's word says it, then it's got to be true, right? And if it's true, then you can apply that truth to your life and it will change you. It will change your perspective. And the battle begins right here between the trenches. The things that you hear The things that you see, that trench right in between, that gray matter that lies right in between. That's where God wants to delve into. That's where he wants to to begin to do an overhaul is in our thinking. Because as long as we think that we're weak, as long as we think that we can't, as long as we think that God is powerless, as long as we think that God hasn't given us the ability to do something, we'll never do anything. But if we get a hold of the fact 
that there's nothing impossible with God and anything that God tells us to do, God will give us the ability to do it. So just do it. What are the Nike? Anybody know what Nike means? Anybody have any idea what Nike means? It means do it. That's what Nike means. Do it. It's the Greek word. Do it. Nike. So when we wear, their, wear those Nike shoes, I mean, kids would run out and pay $150 for a pair of Air Jordan shoes because they thought that if I have those shoes, then I can do it. Do what? Take a basketball, run down a court, jump at the top of the key, and sail all the way to the basket and dunk it. They imagine themselves to do it. Somebody wrote a song about it, you know. I believe I can fly. (laughs) Well, I know that there are certain things that God has not given me the equipment to do. I'm a short guy, you know. I tell people all the time, I played basketball in high school. I played center until I got kicked off the team for lying about my height. (laughs) I can't jump. Not very high anyway. I guess I could if I practiced enough. But I can. But understand that the enemy wants to keep us bound in the area of the mind. And if we think that we can't overcome, we never will. But when we begin to understand that we have already overcome, we shall. We shall. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not themselves unto death. They have already overcome and we have already overcome through the Spirit. When we begin to get a hold of it, we understand that we've already done it. Jesus has already conquered the enemy on our behalf. He's already taken care of the problem for us. We just got to get a hold of it. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about the eye gate and the ear gate. And this is where the enemy gains entrance to, into our soul. And what we purposely see and hear affects how and what we think and will ultimately determine who we are and become. And what we become determines our outcome. I wrote, a, I did a, a message one time called Whatever Happened to Samson? And I can only imagine back in the day when Samson was on his tirades This mighty man who was a judge of Israel for 20 years was going around slaying a thousand Philistines with a jawbone of a donkey, was snatching up foxes and tying torches to their tails and burning up the enemy's fields, who was taking the gates of the cities and carrying them and disposing of them. A mighty man who was brought down because he listened. He listened to a voice that was not the voice of God. Samson, in his last days, stood between the pillars of the temple, blind, with his eyes gouged out by his enemies. And he asked God for one more thing, let me die with the Philistines. What a way to go. Now, we look at that as being a positive, but that was a negative. When we think about all the things that Samson could have done with the might and the power that God gave him, 
But his only desire was to die with the Philistines. Wow. And can you imagine a generation or two later when they look back and someone would say, whatever happened to that boy Samson? He's a strong guy, man. Whatever happened to him? Well, he died in, a, in an accident at the temple. You know, he died with a bunch of Philistines. And that's the way the devil would frame it. It was an accident. It wasn't an act of God. But see, if that's our only hope and that's our only aspirations and we listen to the enemy, it was Samson's desires, it was his fleshly desires that got him in trouble in the first place. And that's what happens to us, our eye gate, our ear gate, the things we listen, the things that we allow ourselves to see. It's important that we begin to understand, folks, that we have to govern what we allow our eyes and our ears to see. That's why Paul says to the the young people in Timothy, flee also youthful lust. Run away from it. That's what the word flee means. It's not a little bug that bites you. It means run. Run. Flee youthful lust. Run away from situations that you find yourself in and you understand your spirit begins to go crazy and says, get out of here. Get out of there. Leave. Don't allow yourself to hang around so that the enemy can begin to whisper into your mind, oh, it won't hurt you. It won't bother you. Look, this guy's doing it. That girl's doing it. It won't hurt you. But what is his ultimate goal? The thief comes not but for to kill, steal, and destroy. He is our enemy. He is deceptive. He has schemes. He has methodology. He uses the eye. He uses the ear. He uses the touch. He uses the desires of our flesh to get us to do things so that he can ensnare us and then capture us and kill us. First Peter chapter 5 verse 7 says, casting all your cares upon him. Jesus, because he cares for you. But your devil, your, your adversary, the devil, for your adversary. Now, when there's a word for, it's a connecting word. For your adversary, the devil goes around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour Well, if he was not able to devour us, would that warning be put in the Bible to begin with? Yes, he can devour you. It's not that the enemy is going to come and eat you up. And we use that analogy, well, he doesn't have any teeth, but he has a mouth. And he uses the voices, he uses whispers to get us to listen. He uses deception, just like he did with Adam and Eve. And he controls us that way. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 18 says, Be strong in the Lord. Everybody say, be strong in the Lord. That's where our strength lies. Be strong in the Lord. Be empowered through your union with him. Draw your strength which he boundlessly, with his, which his boundless might provides. Put on God's whole armor, the armor of a heavy armed soldier, which God supplies. That you may be successfully, be able to successfully to stand up against all the schemes. There's that word. Methodia, methodology, strategies, and deceits of the devil. For we are not wrestling with flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents, but against the depotisms. Now, what is a depotism? A depotism is a form of government. 
in which a single entity rules with absolute power. Who do you think that would be? Huh. Strategies, deceits of the devil, depotisms, world rulers of this present darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural spheres. If you look in the Bible, if you want to kind of study this out, and go back to Daniel. When Daniel was praying and he was interceding and his prayers were hindered by the prince of Tyre, who was a spiritual entity that was in control of an area or a province. He was strong. You know, there are spiritual forces at work in this world today. And our wrestling is not against flesh and blood. It's not against politicians. Understand that. They are only deceived by the enemy. They're only pawns in this game that's being played. It's not a game. It's a reality. Because we are dealing with spiritual forces that are work that we cannot see with our eyes, but which are very real. So there are spiritual forces at work in the heavenlies that you and I can contend with through the Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through prayer and fasting and standing in the authority that God has given us. But if we lay down and we don't understand these things, if we all we do is spend our time in Facebook complaining about what's going on and don't get our face in the book and understand that God has given us supernatural ability to overcome these things, then we lose. Paul said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Right there he said it. He said, for though we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. What do you think those strongholds are? Fortresses. Strongholds that we cannot see with our eyes. You know what the devil will fight in a church more than anything else? Prayer meetings. Hey, I've seen it. I know. I mean, we have a feast. Everybody shows up. We got free food. Hey, we're in. But if we call a prayer meeting, it's hard to get a handful of people out. Why? I believe there's several reasons for that. Number one, we don't know how to pray. Preacher, I don't know how to pray. Well, learn. Come, we will teach you how to pray. You can learn how to pray. Well, I don't have time. We've got time for everything else. But i got to drop the kids off. i got to do this. i got to go get groceries. i got to do that. We find 100,000 excuses. And believe me, the enemy will supply you with all the excuses you need to keep you from praying. We've got time for everything else. How many hours in a day do we get? Does anybody get any more than 24? Does anybody get any less than 24? So, if we got 24 hours in a day, can we not find time to seek the Lord and pray? Can we not find time to stand together in prayer and believe God and pull down some strongholds? I see a stronghold over this region right here. You know what it is? Stronghold of addictions. It's a powerful stronghold that the enemy has over our youth. Started out innocently enough. 
When the enemy has created an atmosphere where both parents have to be at work and the kids are alone, where they have no adult supervision, where the enemy has provided us with cell phones. Everybody has cell phones these days. Who doesn't have a cell phone? You don't have a cell phone? Where have you been? Everybody has cell phones. And what do we do with cell phones? Kids don't talk anymore, do they? Except by cell phone. I mean, wow. See how the the forces that at work and the things that we have can be used as tools for good or evil? All depends. How does it, how does the enemy gain access to our spirit? Ears, eyes. And we don't intend for it to happen that way. Nobody just says, well, I'm just going to turn my soul over to the devil. I'm just going to go out and get hung, strung out on drugs. I'm just going to become an alcoholic. I'm just going to become a, 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 a pervert that, that watches porn all day and, and, and does all kinds of crazy stuff. I'm just, nobody does that, do they? I can't think of anyone that just deliberately sets out to do it. But it comes about through deception. When the enemy gains a foothold in our mind, in our heart, and begins to operate, and when he, when he separates us from the Word of God. You see, the enemy was very clever in 1963 when the Bible was taken out of school and prayer was taken out of school. He was very clever. Why was he trying to do that? To separate us from the very standard by which this country was organized and built the foundation that we were built upon. He was very successful in that. And then when that happened, then all kinds of other ideologies began to come into school. And now things that once were thought to be perverse are the norm. And the things that used to be the norm are now perverse. See how the enemy operates? And it's the lie of the enemy. And it's something that we must fight in the spirit. We must fight it through prayer. We must get into the word of God and saturate our minds and our hearts so that we understand what truth really is so that we don't get deceived by the lie of the enemy. Had Jesus not been a student of the word of God, remember he was born as a baby in a manger. God didn't just all of a sudden put this stuff inside of him, though he was God in the flesh. He was human. He was every bit human. But he had to learn. Where did Jesus spend his time? In the temple. What was he doing in the temple? He was learning. He was learning the Word. He was learning the Word of God. And the more he looked into the Word, he began to realize that I am the Word. (laughs) He understood It was the Word that brought revelation to his mind. It is the Word that brings revelation to our minds and helps us to be able to discern and separate that which is flesh and that which is spirit and understand when the enemy is speaking, when God is speaking, and understand when the world is trying to deceive us and God is trying to bring revelation to our minds to move us forward and the enemy is trying to hold us back. We have to understand these things. And you can't do it without 
the Word of God. And we can't do it without the weaponry that God has given us. I'm going to go back to verse 13. Ephesians 6, 13 says, Therefore, since we are being assaulted with all kinds of things from the enemy, Paul says, Therefore, put on God's complete armor. Everybody say complete. Put on God's complete armor so that you may do what? may be able to resist and stand your ground on the day of evil, or the day of danger, and having done all that the crisis demands, to stand firmly in your place, stand therefore, hold your ground, having tightened the belt of truth around your loins, having put on the breastplate of integrity and moral rectitude and right standing with God, and having shod your feet in preparation to the face of the enemy and the firm-footed stability, the promptness and readiness produced by the good news of the gospel of peace, lift up over all the covering the shield of, lift up over all the covering of the shield of saving faith upon which you can quench all the flaming missiles of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which the Spirit wills, which is the Word of God. And pray sometimes. Pray all the time. When we're constantly in an attitude of prayer, what does that mean? It means we're carrying on a conversation with God. Whatever situation we find ourselves in, we ask God and God answers. My wife... We'll be in the bathroom sometimes, and I'll hear her talking. I'll say, who are you talking to? Well, she's talking to herself. She's speaking to herself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. She's making melody in her heart to the Lord. She's praying. She's talking. I find myself doing that a lot, too. I'll be walking around talking. I'm talking to God. You know, I'm not, and, and, and sometimes when I'm not saying anything, I'm listening. I'm just listening. I like to get up early, early, early in the morning before the birds start chirping for anything and just listen. Just sit and listen for the voice of God. Be still and know that I am God. And all the day long, whenever I'm riding down the road or something, God is speaking to me. You know, sometimes when somebody pulls out in front of me, God speaks really quick. He has to because the devil wants me to say some vile things. But I catch myself. Say, Jesus, bless them. Sometimes I say it through clenched teeth, but I say it. But anyway, pray at all times on every occasion, in every season, in the Spirit. Paul says, I will pray in the Spirit, and I will pray with my understanding also. I will pray in the Spirit, and I will pray with my understanding also. With all manner of prayer and entreaty, to the end to keep alert and watch with, all, with a strong purpose and perseverance, interceding in behalf of all the saints, God's consecrated people. So the spiritual battle armor and the weaponry is vitally important. But you, you can see our, our battle is, is a spiritual one. It's not in flesh and blood. So therefore, we've got to wage war in the Spirit. We've got to fight effectively in the Spirit, prepare our minds for battle on a daily basis. So faith is the key to winning the battle. Everybody say this with me. I either have faith 
or I have fear. And the one I give in to is the one that will win. So we're called to walk by faith and not by sight. Some things we can't see and we know God is calling us into. We don't know the end from the beginning and it's kind of difficult to take that first step. But we take a step of faith not knowing but we know that God has said. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God Romans 10 17 and let me separate something out for you the word hearing there and the word word the word word is used interchangeably throughout the New Testament there are three different Greek words for the word word there's the word graphe the word that is written there is the word word logos which is the logic the logical summations that we make through study and through interpretation and these kind of things and then there is the rhema. Rhema is a revelation that comes directly from God. And in this case, in Romans ten seventeen, it is the revelation of God that he's speaking of. Faith comes by revelation. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the revelation of the word of God. So we got to have faith. Faith is the opposite of fear. And when we have faith, then we can stand against the wiles of the enemy. Romans 10, 17. Also, Mark eleven twenty two. 22, have faith in God. In who? God. How can we have faith in God? Well, I believe God. What do you believe about God? What do you believe about God? So a lot of people have faith in God. As a matter of fact, James says, you say you have faith in God, you do well. But the devils believe also, and they tremble. Hmm. Think about that for just a minute. There's a difference in having faith in God and having the faith of God. And we have the faith of God when we get into His Word and when He begins to reveal things to us about Himself and His nature and His desires for us and understand that they're all good. Amen? Okay, I'm going to move on a little bit. Jude 20 says, but you, beloved, build yourselves up. Founded on your most holy faith, make progress. Rise like an edifice higher and higher, praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Paul says, I will pray with my understanding, and I will pray in the Spirit. I will pray in the Spirit, and I will pray with my understanding also. So what was he saying? I believe it is the, the heavenly language that God gives us through the Spirit, through the baptism in the Holy Spirit. That God enables us to pray in the Holy Ghost. As a matter of fact, Romans 8, chapter, 20, uh, chapter 8, verse 26, talks about how he helps us to pray when we don't know how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself prays with utterings and groanings that we can't understand. And he, then it says, in, and we get over to verse 27, and it says that he makes all things work together for the good of those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. So we, he, so we see how praying in the Spirit and praying with our understanding and praying in the Spirit and praying with understanding makes all things work together for the good of those who love Him, who are the called according to His purpose because it gets beyond our human understanding. We don't understand how it's going to work out, but we know God's going to work it out for our good. Isn't that good? So we pray in the Spirit, building ourselves up on our most holy faith. And then this last one, protect your eye gate and your ear gate. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, everybody say above all else, guard your heart. That doesn't mean eat green beans, no meat, 
Watch your cholesterol. It means above all else, watch what goes inside of you, inside of your think tank. The inward, the very core of your being. You have core values. Things that you believe. Things that, that dominate your life and determine your life and your values. What are they founded upon? The Word of God. Our core. So you got to be careful. Protect your eye gate. Above all else, guard your heart, for out of it flow forth the issues of life. I wish I had time this morning. I'd get into it. You can read it for yourself in Mark chapter 7, where Jesus said, It's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It's what comes out of him. But what goes into us will determine what goes out of us, what we allow in our mind and our hearts. Okay? So protect it. Last but not least, I'm going to give you two more verses and then we're done. Philippians 4, 6, and 8 are are two more passages, really. Do not fret or have anxiety about anything. But in every circumstance and in everything by prayer and petition, which are definite requests, with thanksgiving, continue to make your wants known to God. And God's peace be yours, that tranquil state of mind assured of his salvation through Christ, And so fearing nothing from God and content with this earthly lot of whatever sort that is, that peace which transcends all understanding shall garrison and mount guard over your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. For the rest, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is worthy of reverence, whatever is honorable and seemly and lovable, whatever is kind and winsome and gracious, if there's any virtue and excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on and weigh and take account of these things. Fix your minds on them. Fix your minds on them. What we think about will control what we do. And what we do will determine the outcome of who we are. There's a war going on. You've got to understand this. That peace is not the absence of trouble. Peace is the presence of God. Isaiah 26, 3 says, For you will keep him in perfect peace. You will guard him and keep him in perfect peace and constant peace, whose mind, both in his inclinations and character, is stayed or fixed on you because he commits himself to you, leans on you, and hopes confidently in you. Understand this one last thing. The battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. If we're going to win this battle, we've got to do it His way. We have to use the weapons that He has given us. We can't do it with fleshly weapons. The devil's not just going to go away if you just tell him to go away, but he will go away if you tell him to go away in the name of Jesus. Because he doesn't fear you, but he, he does fear him. And understanding how to use the weaponry that God has given us, the shield of faith, and understand that as long as I stand in him, that the wicked one can't touch me because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Understanding these things that God has given you great power and you have to operate in that power. But how do we get that power? Only through him and through his word. Only through prayer and seeking him. And we grow in the grace and knowledge of him who has called us. And the more we grow in the grace and the knowledge of him who has called us, the more the devil's scared of us. He hates it when we get out of bed in the morning. If you want to get some good sleep, here's how you do it. 
Arm yourself to to the teeth with the Word of God. With the goodness of the Lord. And the devil don't want to wake you up. But if you allow yourself to be anxious and worrisome and those kind of things, you'll be up all night because that's what he loves. And he'll talk to you. He'll tell you how bad things are and they're going to get worse. But if you will arm yourself and keep your mind stayed on him, you'll lay down at night and sleep like a baby. He'll even let you oversleep. Because the worst thing in the world to the devil is for a mighty man or woman of God to rise to the feet in the morning and say, good morning, Lord, what's next? Hallelujah. Some people get up and say, good Lord, it's morning. Other people get up and say, good morning, Lord. You know, I want to be one of those good morning, Lord guys. You know what I'm saying? I want to just get up. Look forward to getting out of bed in the morning. Take on a new day and understand that there are challenges before you, but there's nothing that you can't overcome. There's nothing you can't do through Him. Amen? Amen. We win. We win. I've read the Bible through I don't know how many times, but every time I get to the end, I understand we win. (laughs) You've been listening to Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.